years ago, because this morning I want to talk about the atmosphere of grace, and I'm going to start with this story. But years ago, a little boy came to visit our house, and we already had two children. This little boy stood in the middle of the room and looked around my house and said, no, 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 no. And I said to his mom, no, my house is a yes, 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 yes house. And she said, no, I don't want him touching it because I don't want him to get into a habit of touching it. And I said, but no, you don't understand. I put all sorts of tantalizing toddler things all over my house. Even my nativity set is, is plastic to be played with. Everything is to be, you draw the children and, and make them feel comfortable and loved and, and you can do no wrong in this house house. And I learned that from my mom. The minute she had a grandchild, she took all the no-nos out. All the breakable stuff, she put them in a box, put them up high, and I think a year later gave them away. And she put everything that was plastic and unbreakable at toddler size because she never wanted to say no, no, no to a grandchild. You know, what kind of atmosphere are we creating? In my house, I came downstairs. I did have one nice nativity set. I came downstairs one morning having set it all up and there was Barbie and the Ninja Turtles bowing down <laughs> in front of the manger. And I thought, they got it. They got it. And then I had this little choir boy. Now, my aunt went to heaven, but she loved choir boys. She loved angels and choir boys. But let me explain. She liked anything that was like an angel with a slingshot in its back pocket. Or, and she loved the naughtier the child. She had a Camp Friendly Acres, which was for underprivileged children. And the naughtier the child, the more her heart was drawn to them. And the more she wanted to see them saved. So she was drawn to those, kind of those angels with the slingshot. Not bad. Not bad, just rascally. But anyway, so she gave me this choir boy. And it would, you know, sing and it would do this, you know. It kind of, what is this? This is a slight rotation as it sang, you know, and it would play this music. And my daughter, Kelsey, loved it. She's 18 months, and for some reason she thought she should stick it out under her arm and just walk around the house. And, and we're always kind of taking it away. We're putting it up higher. Kelsey was this type of toddler. It's crazy because she's not like this now. And she changed quite a bit later. But she used to love to somehow get on top of my dining room table and try to hang from the chandelier. I kid you not. From the time she began to walk, in fact, we had to remove her from the crib at nine months because she was hurtling over the side of it and getting out. She walked at nine months. And she would start bouncing, 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 grab the side and woo, and like, 10, you know, I'm out. I made it. And she'd go running through the hallway. And we'd see her like, what? And it was like two and three o'clock in the morning. It was like, no! And you never knew what she was going to do. Like, you know, my kids started closing their room, their doors on their room in case she got free. And locking them. But she was, and so she would, we took all the chairs away from the dining room table, every single chair. 
and she would take those chairs and she would start pushing them to the table, climb up on the chair, climb up on the table, like if you left her for one moment, she'd be like, ah, 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 and she'd be swinging on my chandelier. So of course she took, and so we kept trying to find high places to put that little choir boy, but no, she'd find it. Pretty soon his head fell off, his arms fell off. She was walking around with the torso. But you know, that little choir boy died of love. He died of love, and I think that's exactly how my Aunt Isi would have liked him to meet his demise, by being overly loved. So today, I want to talk to you about the atmosphere of grace. The atmosphere of grace, which is an atmosphere that says yes, 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 and amen. An atmosphere that says, take the choir boy and love him to death. Let him lose a head, an arm, a foot out of love. It's the atmosphere that lets Barbies and Ninja Turtles come and worship Jesus Christ. That makes our Lord approachable for anyone and everyone. So before we begin, I want you to stand up. And I want to read the word of God over you. Now, I don't know about you, probably, do you have a favorite chapter in the Bible? I'm probably going to hit your favorite chapter, because I try to have other favorite chapters, and I do. I love Luke chapter 24. I love Psalm 62. Yes, I love, no, I don't really like Proverbs. There are too many do's and don'ts, and if I'm going to be smart, I have to do that, and I always forget. But I'll tell you, as far as chapters, whole chapters, like, you know, chapters of the Bible, but how can you get away from Romans chapter 8, right? That begins with, there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. I try to have another favorite, but that's mine. I, I keep, I've, I tried. I remember one time saying to my dad, what's your favorite chapter? <laughs> Romans 8. And I'm like, yes, you can't get away from it. It's just the best. It's, it's the grace chapter. It's where we need to find ourselves. So let me read it over you, my dear sisters in Jesus. What then, beginning in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, with Jesus, also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justified you. Who is he who condemns? It is the Messiah, Jesus, who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, saying, forgive them. Love them. Making intercession for us. Who? Who shall separate us from the love of the Messiah? Shall tribulation? I'm just, when I say this, say, no! I've just been doing VBS all week. Can you tell? So here we go. Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress? No. Shall persecution? No. Should famine? No. Nakedness? No. A little embarrassing, but no. Peril? the sword. No. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, not height, not depth, nor any other thing that you can see or feel or touch on this earth. No person, no angelic being, no force can separate you, can take you out of the love of God, which is in the Messiah, Jesus, who has become our Lord. Amen. So be it. It is so. It cannot be. It cannot be invalidated. It is absolute truth because this is the authoritative, amazing, astounding, absolute word of God, the Father, the creator of all things to his daughters through Jesus. Lord, I pray for my sisters. We pray as never before, fill our hearts with grace, that grace so overflows. Let grace drive out every voice of condemnation. Let grace drive out, Lord, every spirit of unforgiveness, every spirit of bitterness, everything that would keep us from grace filling every crevice so that when people speak to us, just grace comes out. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start with one of my favorite fairy tales. And when I tell you my favorite fairy tale, you're going to go, what? That's a terrible fairy tale. But I loved it. It was in a, a book of fairy tales. And it's about, it's, it's about these, it's about an orphan who lived with these two mean sisters. It's not Cinderella, but it's kind of like that. You know, she's got these two mean sisters, and she's the sweet one. And she's forced to do manual labor for her stepmother. It's always the stepmother, isn't it? And for her stepsisters. And she goes to this well one day, and there's an older woman there. And she says, dear, dear, could I have a little bit of water? And the sweet Sister says, oh, yes, I would love to give you water. And she takes the bucket and she lowers it into the well. And she brings it out and she pours it into a fresh cup. And she hands it to the lady and says, can I do anything more for you? And she says, well, I am hungry. And the sweet, the sweet girl takes of her own lunch and she gives it to this older woman. And all of a sudden, the older woman throws off the garments of age. And she's this beautiful, as only can happen in fairy tales, beautiful fairy godmother. And she says, as your heart is already filled with sweetness, out of the abundance of your heart, every time you talk, rubies and diamonds and emeralds and precious jewels will spill out. So the daughter goes home, and she says, Stepmother, and out come diamonds. You won't believe what happened, and out come emeralds. I met this older woman, out come rubies. And the stepmother is saying, talk more, my daughter, talk more. <laughs> and every time she talks, everyone is enriched. Everyone is, is enriched by every word that she says because of what's coming out of her mouth. So her stepsister, seeing this, says, I want some of that 
So she goes to the well and she waits for an old woman. And as she's waiting, a noble woman comes up on a great stage and she says, you there, give me some water. And she's like, get it yourself. I'm waiting for an old lady. And all of a sudden, as can only happen in fairy tales, the woman on the great steed throws off her garments of regalness. And she is the fairy godmother. And she says, as the cold cruelty that dwells in your heart, so shall everything that comes out of your mouth from now on. And the girl said, no, and out came a scorpion. Stop it! And out came a snake. And every time she talked, a spider or a scorpion or a snake or anything I don't like came out of her mouth. And so her mother said, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And then the prince up on the hill heard about the two sisters. And he came to take the one that would enrich the kingdom the most. And it didn't hurt that she was humble and beautiful and a great cook, <laughs> good at cleaning. And he took her to the castle to live with him forever. Now, my father used to tell me Bible stories, but my mother used to tell me moral stories to make me nice. <laughs> and that was one of them. You know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I want to talk about the atmosphere of our heart. Because we will never have grace in our home, in our community, in our church, unless it begins with our hearts. It's got to begin with our hearts. How can that world out there ever know grace, ever experience grace, ever even see what grace looks like if we in the church are not filled with grace, speaking grace to one another? How can they ever know the richness, the beauty, the kindness of grace? unless it's in our hearts and therefore in our church. If we as believers are going on Facebook saying, I see you had a bottle of wine at that dinner. If we are going on Facebook saying, I don't like what you said about, you misspelled. That was an ugly picture, unflattering. If we are going on Facebook and we are writing rebukes and unkind things and non-believers are reading those things, do you think they're going to want to come to church? Do you think they're going to even want to meet us? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? You want to be at the place where they know you and all your faults and they still love you. You want to be at the place where you're always wanted, where you're always loved. Last night I was kind of brain dead. And I went home, and sometimes I do this, and I just 
watch YouTube. I'm going to cry even now thinking about just like daddies coming back from war, greeting their little children. Is that like the worst? It's so good. You're like just sobbing. I made Brian watch it and he's like, Cheryl, I'm not watching one more of these. I'm like, but this one looks so good. It's like, just will you stop it? <laughs> but you know, those men in Iraq and, and Afghanistan, they know that there's a little boy or a little girl at home who loves them so much. And you see those children go, Daddy! You know, and there's one little girl who's singing in the choir and she's like, and she leaves the choir. She goes running to her daddy, picks her up in his arms, and she's like, Daddy, Daddy. And he's just melting, this big old burly soldier. And some of those, you know, the, like the one little girl's like, Daddy, you're bald. And, you know, she's just stroking his head because they don't care what their daddy looks like. It's their daddy. You know how you don't care what your daddy looks like? He's yours. You claim him. My dad was bald, he had chipped teeth, and it was like, I don't, and he had a tummy, and I was like, he said to me, in fact, get this, when he was getting his chemo, about to get his chemotherapy, and the doctor's explaining it, and he says, you're going to go bald, and you know, my dad, and you know, you might have this reaction, my dad goes, well, she doesn't like me with hair, pointing to me, <laughs> and the doctor's looking at me like, okay, it was, I was six. I was six years old when I told him, no, don't get a wiglet, don't get hair growth. I like your halo. I want you just the way you are. I don't want you to lose weight because you're my pillow and you're so cuddly. And I want you just where you, like you are. And there he is. He remembered that. And when I'm in my 50s and he's about to get chemotherapy and they're telling him he's going to lose his hair, he's like, well, she'll still love me because I'm her daddy. And we take them as is. You know, even when they're not good daddies, some of you want, you still want the one you got. You just still want his love. You don't want to trade daddies. I mean, there was one dad that was so handsome, you know, but I never wanted another dad. It's like, you can have your handsome dad. I got that one. He's mine, the one with the chipped tooth and no hair. That's mine. In fact, there was one little girl that was holding his hands after service. I said, you go get your own dad. That one's mine. I was 10. And then I was like, I started going to first service with him at 10 years old. First service, second service, third service. And I just said, I have to be dismissed early because I have to go out there when my dad comes out from the, um, down the stage and out at the back door and I have to hold his hand. I have to keep the other ones away. My mom loved it. She's like, this is great. You keep the, any pretty women, you keep them away too, the casserole women, you're on it. But you know, those dads knew that they were coming home to an atmosphere of grace. That those little children loved them, no matter what injuries they had sustained, no matter what they saw, no matter what they had been through, no matter, you know, what weight they were or anything, they loved them. And those men fought and thought the whole time on those battlefields of the grace that was waiting for them, of the grace that they were going back to. Oh, that our churches would be filled with that atmosphere. That people would come in and say, this is the place that I'm loved. They love me no matter what. They want me here, crazy as that may be. I'm going to tell you really quick testimony. 
there was a woman who went to church here near Mary Peoples. Um, and she gave her testimony. She was a lawyer. She now lives in Texas. She used to teach on Tuesday nights. And she said from the time she was eight years old, she was the child you didn't want ever coming to your house because she was a defiling child and she would defile your children in any way possible. You know those kids that you're like, don't come into my house. She said that her parents were very much the country club, very wealthy. And from the time she was eight years old, she would go and empty the shot glasses that her parents had left and the people partying at their house would leave. By the time she was in sixth grade, she was already an alcoholic. When she got to high school, she doesn't remember anything because of all the drugs. But she said nobody liked her for very long. She had a very short duration with all her friendships. Then she said she went to college because her parents were wealthy enough to get her in any college. And she went to 12 different colleges in two years. She kept getting kicked out. She moved down to Texas. And in Texas, she found a job while she was in college there working at a head shop or a shop that sold drug paraphernalia. She loved it. She said it was the lifetime dream job until the man who owned it got busted and arrested and went to jail. And she lost her job, but then something really terrible happened. He got saved in prison. And he wrote to his wife, and she got saved in prison. And Mary was so upset with him for getting saved, it just ruined all her social life. And then Mary said one day she's driving down the road, and she can't see the road in front of her. It's doing all sorts of things and going black, and the margins are changing. So she pulls into a parking lot. She goes to the telephone booth. She opens up the yellow pages, and she finds uh, the phone number, uh, white pages, finds the phone number of the lady who used to own the drug shop. And she says, you've got to help me. I don't know where I am. That, that I can't see anything. I was trying to drive. I can't drive. I can't do anything. And she says, all right, Mary, tell me what's in the strip mall where you're at. And she says, well, there's a bar. She said, no, no, what else? Uh, there's like a Goodwill shop. No, what else? Oh, there's one of those fishy places. You know those places that have like the fishes, you know, on them and stuff, like some like religious place? She goes, yes, Mary, that's what you want. I'm going to tell you a Bible and I want you to go get it. And this is what you want. And so she gives Mary a description of the Bible she's supposed to get. So Mary pulls out a piece of, you know, rips it out of the the yellow pages, writes down the description of this Bible, walks into this religious store, tells the woman what kind of Bible she wants in colorful language. The woman shows it to her and says, it's $60. And Mary says, what a blankety blank, 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 blank Bible for a blankety blank, 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 blank. And the woman said, yes. And Mary said she pulled out her checkbook to write a check knowing the check was no good. She knew it was no good. And she thought, mm, probably get arrested for this one. She'd been arrested. She was a friend of the people at the jail. So she started writing it. The woman takes the check and she goes to the back room. And Mary said she doesn't know what compelled her to stay except for obviously now the Lord. But at that moment, she didn't recognize it. And the woman went to the back and she's thinking, oh, she's going to find out the check's bad. The police are going to come any second now, take me to jail, but that's okay because can't really see where I'm going anywhere. Anyway, 
the lady comes out. She hands her the Bible and says, it's yours. And Mary said, well, it better be for the blankety blank, 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 blank. And she walks out of the store. And she gets in her car and she says, well, I better see what this $60 thing looked like. She opens it up. And when the woman had gone to the back and taken the check, she'd used it to write, to be able to engrave Mary's name on the front of the Bible. And what she had written was, Jesus loves you, Mary Kay Staples. Mary looked at that. She began to sob because not one time in her entire life had anyone ever told Mary that they loved her. Not her mom, not her dad, not a friend, not a friend's parent. Her whole life had been filled with rejection. So she went to church. She wore her shortest shorts. She wore her most revealing top. It was a halter top. Showing her midriff. She wore high heels. And she went to church. And when they gave the altar call, she sauntered up that middle aisle. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. That she came the next week dressed the same way. Waited for the altar call. Sauntered up the middle aisle again. She did that every week until she moved to California. She moved to California. She started working at a radio station. One of the women there was a Christian. And she said, you know, Mary, she started witnessing to Mary. Mary's like, oh, I already have blankety blank. You know, don't worry, I'm, I'm blankety blank saved. She said, yeah, but there's a thing called spiritual growth. And, you know, Mary, let me take you to church. So she took Mary to church, and at the church, they said, don't bring that woman back. She took her to another women's Bible study. They said, don't bring that woman back. So she said, I know of one more place where they'll accept you. They accept anybody. <laughs> and she came to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, women's evening Bible study. And Mary sat in the group. And they talked. Now she hadn't read her Bible. She hadn't done the homework. She hadn't done anything, but she had something to say, always. She dominated the group. She was rude. She used colorful language. Because she expected to be kicked out just like she was at the other two places because she was fully aware that she had been kicked out of two churches. Fully aware. She said, but afterwards, the group leader walked over to her, handed her the homework, and said, do it all. Read your Bible, and I'll see you next week. And Mary said to the lady, you mean I'm in? I'm in? I get to come back? She said, do your homework. Read your Bible. See you next week. Mary started doing her homework because she was in. It was the first club that had ever accepted her in her entire life. She started doing all her homework. Started reading the Bible. Went back to college. Went to law school. But never, ever missed a women's Bible study. She became one of the number one teachers of our women's Bible study, our evening study. Brilliant, loving Jesus, amazing. And it started with one woman who showed grace. Jesus loves you, Mary Kay Staples. I want that atmosphere here at Calvary. I remember being at Calvary one time, this couple was talking really loudly during worship. You know, and I'm there to worship. <laughs> this is my holy moment. And I heard them talking. And I turned around, and all I could see was cleavage. 
It was coming right at me. It's like. <laughs> and then when there was a man, he was just wearing a, like a vest with the, you know, chest hair. He looked kind of like Burt Reynolds. And I turned around and as I was turning, I went, hi, you're new here. I'm Cheryl. <laughs> and I, I met them both and they're like, yeah, this is our first time. I'm like, welcome. I hope you love it. And you know, I hope you remember, you know, something. And I turned around, I'm like, okay, Lord, save them. <laughs> a couple years later, I was, out of re- I was in um, Austria at the castle where we have the missions um, retreats. And she says, do you remember me? I said, no. She said, do you remember a woman that sat behind you with a lot of cleavage? And I'm like, yes. She said, that was me. I said, wow, you're clothed and in your right mind. And she said, because of you, I came back the next week. Because you love me. I said, what happened to Burt Reynolds? She said, I jettisoned him after two weeks. She said, but I came back and I came back. She said, I now own radio stations and I proclaim the gospel through them. And I married a man who prays. And we pray together. And we feel that that's our ministry, this radio ministry and prayer ministry. What if I had said, we don't wear those kind of clothes here. I want you to go talk to Kay Smith. You know, she passes out the robes. You know, what, what, if, what if they come? How will the world know the grace that is in Christ Jesus? How will they be transformed by this grace? Unless we're having it in the atmosphere of our heart, we're sharing it with each other. How will the world know that there is forgiveness guaranteed in Jesus' name if we're holding little trivialities against each other? I don't like the way you looked at me. Your skirt's above your knees. I one time was about to teach. And this woman says, look at Cheryl's skirts. They just keep getting shorter and shorter and shorter, right as I'm going up. And I'm like... That's what elastic does. It slips up. That's not what we want to say, but it's going to pop out. If our heart's not filled with grace, those things will, scorpions will come out. Do you think people want to come to a church where there are scorpions and snakes and spiders? No. Or mad dogs? No, they want to come where Barnabas is, my dog. The golden doodle. Who loves? They want to come where they're going to be loved and wanted and given room to grow and adored. But it's got to start in our heart so that the jewels of grace will come out. It's got to start in our heart. So let's talk about the things that keep our hearts from being filled with grace. So we talked in chapter four about the enemies of grace. What are the things that keep you from running to the throne room of grace to get your heart just washed out and filled with grace? Well, we talked about the first enemy being you. And the reason we did that quiz is I wanted to prove to you that it's you. Okay, that was just proof that you are your own worst enemy. 
You are the worst. You are the, you are the reason that sometimes you don't want to go to the throne room of grace because you disqualify yourself before you even start your way there. You say, I don't deserve grace. I'm an idiot. That was stupid. I wish I hadn't done that. Do you ever talk to yourself like that? I had a week where I talked to myself like that. I came home from VBS so tired, had to meet with women, and something was said, and I said, no, don't you do that. And I love the person I said that to, and she's just looking at me like, what happened to you? I don't know. And I just, and I, I wrote a huge apology to her. I didn't hear from her. I went to church, and I'm just thinking, that's it. She doesn't want to be my friend. She'll never want to be my friend. I wonder if she wants to rebuke me, yell at me, beat me up. What is, she, you know, what will it take to get this friendship restored? And I, and I, I, you know how you do, you just sweat, like, till you hear from them again? She wrote me back and she's like, sorry about the apples. It's my fault. I'm like, no, this is all on me. And she just like, no, I love, I mean, it was grace. She answered me with grace. It was so unexpected because I was so beating myself up. And I couldn't stop beating myself up. Grace. You see, you have to first be the recipient of grace. And, And that goes to the chapter about being qualified by grace. You have to know that you are accepted in the beloved by grace. It's not because you always have a good attitude. Because let me tell you something, you don't. And even if it doesn't show on the inside, it's going on in the inside. Wait, even if it doesn't show on the outside, it's going on on the inside. And you might even make a mistake when you just try to say that. There is not a time that you don't need grace. You always need grace, always. And you need to fill your heart with grace. One time, because I'm really good at self-berating, and as I said, those questions are things that I realized were in the way of me getting to grace. That's why I wrote that questionnaire. It's not from any psychological book. It's from my own life. But as I was writing those questions, I mean, I remember this one day, just saying, Cheryl, you are such a stupid idiot. And I was talking to them. And the Holy Spirit broke in and said, who are you talking to? He said, me. And he said, do you talk to your daughters like that? Would you ever talk to Kristen or Kelsey like that? I'm like, no, never. I wouldn't want any. And he said, would you want anyone to say that to your daughters? I'm like, no. He said, I don't like anyone talking to my daughter like that. How do you talk to yourself? What do you say to yourself when you get it wrong? When you forget an ingredient at the market? When you go upstairs and forget why you went there. (laughs) What do you say when you spill something on the floor? Or you left a Kleenex in your pocket when you washed your clothes? What do you say to yourself? What do you, you stupid, stupid, stupid woman. Don't talk to yourself like that. There's a father in heaven who doesn't want you talking to yourself like that. Because he loves you so much. He wants. If you, if you can't talk to yourself nicely, then you just let Jesus talk to you. If you can't say it nicely to yourself, then you stop talking to yourself and just let Jesus talk to you. Because you know what he's going to say? Nothing can separate you from my love. This condemning voice is not me. 
this is not me. It's not how I talk. That's not what I sound like. That's not the tone I use. I would never even use those words. That's not how I talk to you. So don't you talk to you like that. Pride, pride. That's when we're going to do it for the Lord. I'm going to get this right, Lord. Then I'm going to come to you. As soon as I get this right, Lord, I'll be there. You will never get it right. Never, and you'll never be there. You see, the throne of grace is for all those times we don't get it right. We can't get it right. But pride will keep us from the throne of grace. And it's not always our own pride that will keep us. Sometimes it's other people's pride. It's like, you don't deserve to be in the throne of grace. I do. Because I was in the tent. Seriously? Grace is for everyone and all. Don't let others' pride, when they act superior, like, oh, you can't ride a bike without hands, let keep you from riding a bike, even if yours has training wheels on it. The law. Don't let the law keep you from the throne room of grace. Now, there is the Ten Commandments, right? And then it gets worse when we read the Sermon on the Mount. We realize, oh my goodness, it's not just dealing with outward action. It's relational, so it's dealing with our heart attitudes and our thoughts. Woe is me, that should be your attitude. And then you go to being poor in spirit, and that's great because that's when we get to see God. And the kingdom is open to us. But I'm talking about another law. Because we have different laws. We have I should not and I should. And we do this to, each, to ourselves all day long. I should be a better mother. I shouldn't raise my voice. I should always say kind things. I shouldn't speed. I shouldn't tailgate. I should always say nice things to Brian, even when he drives me crazy. I shouldn't say unkind things to Brian, ever. Last night was another one of those nights. <laughs> I came home so dead dog tired. And I was making dinner and he was sitting there. Dinner was just six minutes away. And the man gets up from the table and goes into his office. He doesn't talk to me while I'm making dinner. He goes in and he's watching He's watching YouTube something. He watches sermons. I watch children meeting their fathers. <laughs> and he's in there. And I think he'll come out any second. I'm not going to go get him. Okay, so is pride. I'm not going to go get him. I'm tired. I've been working all day. He needs to be here, be present. He doesn't get that much time with me. I've been neglected. And I'm not going in there. I'm not. So then I did all the dishes. I even cleaned up everything. Just left his portion getting cold and wilted and everything else. <laughs> then I sauntered by his room. By now, I, I like to eat promptly at 5.30. The man came home at 6. In his office. Sits down, puts for dinner. 
Is that what I love? Yes, it is. So he comes in the kitchen. I, I go to him and I said, so I guess you don't want dinner you already ate. No, I'm hungry. Really? Hungry, huh? That's why you're in the office, huh? Your office, ignoring me. Why, I'm doing all the cooking and the cleaning. Because you're hungry? Uh-huh. Well, I just put dinner away. No, no. Yeah, mm-hmm. You missed it. It was good. I ate it with soldiers coming home from Iraq. He comes in. You should summon me. I'm not summoning you. You should come. You should know that dinner is not going to be at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. It's going to be as it always is, 6 o'clock at the latest. You should know these things. I forgot. No, you didn't. You're watching videos that I don't approve of because I don't understand half the words. You need to be in here. And he goes, I'm sorry. I said, and, and the way he said it was insincere. And I said, you don't get any of this chicken I made. So I'm walking around like, uh-uh, mm-mm, mm-mm, And he's trying to reach over me. And I said, don't make a mess. I just cleaned the kitchen. My chicken, my chicken, my chicken. Seriously, I did that. I did. So in other words, I'm still learning grace with you. We're all on level ground. It's not like a finished product is here. It's, a, it's one in the making. So I need grace. You need grace. I don't know if you withhold chicken from people, but you still need grace. The law, I should. I should have given Brian chicken. I should have summoned him into to dinner. I should have, but I didn't. But the law is the standard that we measure ourselves by constantly. The world is an enemy, the culture of confusion. That's what we live in. We live in a culture of confusion. And it confuses. Tell me about it. Magazines lose 20 pounds, and then there's a recipe for the best scrumptious chocolate chip cookies ever. It's like, seriously, what do you want me to do? Eat the cookies or lose the weight? Will you make up your mind? But the media, the culture is always telling us, you're not good enough. You don't measure up. You know, when, when a 53-year-old woman is posting Instagrams of her in a bathing suit that she designed, won't say her name, and she looks great, it's wrong. 95% <laughs> of people have cellulite. Let's highlight them. Let's say that those 5% without cellulite, they're the ones with the problems. Honey, you need to get some dimples. <laughs> These are enemies that want to keep you from, but you've been qualified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your acceptance into grace is not on the merit of what you've done, on your constant good attitude, on any of the works, it is not based upon who you know or what you get right. It is based on Jesus Christ and his love and his gift of salvation alone. Anything else takes away from Jesus' glory. Anything else takes the attention off of Jesus and puts it on you. Do you want that? No. No, you don't. You want all attention on Jesus. All glory to Jesus has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. This is our acceptance. This is why we come. 
We are accepted because of Jesus. We are loved because of Jesus. We are transformed because of Jesus, not by self-transformation. I mean, how many of you have blown a diet? Raise your hand, come on, get those hands up. How many of you have blown a diet? Right, Thank I love the two hands, thank you. Me too. Even like a healthy diet, like I'm just not gonna do, you know? White bread, and then garlic rolls are set in front of me. We are accepted. We are loved. We are wanted by Jesus Christ. Let that fill your heart. You see, once you begin to fill your heart that you are qualified by Christ, the arsenal that is kept has been storing all those weapons. The cages of the scorpions and the snakes are removed. And the riches of grace begin to fill your heart heart. And that's what we want. We don't want the arsenal of unforgiveness. We don't want bitterness. In fact, we want our heart to be filled with the weaponry of grace, the weaponry of hospitality and love and joy and peace and acceptance. And when our hearts are filled with this, and again, it starts with recognizing that we were qualified by Jesus and not by anything we have done. And then we begin to fill our hearts with grace. How do we do that? How do you fill your heart with grace? Well, I think about Mary in Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two. And it says that she treasured these things in her heart. She put these things in her heart. What are you putting in your heart? What, do you, what, what are you treasuring? What's in there? Is it like slips of unforgiveness? Like, well, you did this and you did that and they did this when I was 12. I was talking to a woman the other day and I mentioned somebody, she goes, I don't like her. When, and this woman's almost 60. When I was in junior high, that girl tattled on me. I'm really sorry about that. I didn't know that. Kind of like that girl myself. Sorry, you don't. Uh, and then I mentioned somebody else. I don't like them. When I was eight years old, okay, I don't like them. And it was like, and I don't really like your church, okay, because you're not active enough in the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, you know, you want me to speak in tongues to you now? Would that make you feel better? It's like, it was all these things that I thought this poor woman, because she remembers pain from when she was three and four and six and 12 and 18. I, mean, I can't even remember what happened yesterday. I don't, I, don't want that. I don't want that in the treasury of my heart. I want to remember this person showed me grace. I, remember, I want to remember the man named Roy Peebler who used to grab me when I was running through the church and shouldn't have been running, squeezed my cheeks and said, little girl, Missy, do you know Jesus just loves you? You know he can't get enough of that face? And I'm like, Really? Okay. Let me go. <laughs> I want to I remember my Aunt Isi that would say, Honey, Jesus has got a call on you. Now I can see it. I can see it. I want to I put those things, I want to put all the scripture promises 
I want to remember that nothing can separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus. No, nobody's condemning letter, no comment on Facebook, no mean tweet or Twitter or Twitter pater. Nobody, nothing can separate me from the love. I want to remember that. I, remember, I want to remember that he who has begun a good work in me will finish it. I want to remember all the promises of God are in Jesus. And they are yes. And it is going to be so because of the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. So I was a little repetitive there. But I'm still loved. And I'm under grace. I want to remember these things. I want this to be the treasury of my heart. In Colossians 3.16, and that's easy to remember because of John 3.16, right? Colossians 3.16, it says that we fill our heart with grace when we sing songs and spiritual songs, when we sing choruses and we sing psalms, declarative truth from the word of God and hymns, which are doctrinal statements about what God has done, that when we do this, that we're filling our hearts with grace. And we're overwhelming it with grace. When we put the word of God, when we remember and we choose to think according to Philippians 4, 8, and 9, with, on those things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely, we are filling our hearts, our arsenal with grace. Because as Jesus said in Luke 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can remember that one because of one, two, three, four. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we fill our hearts with grace, the grace that we find in the word of God, the grace that we find in believers who have loved on us and spoken the word of grace to us. If we fill our hearts with grace, it will spill out jewels, whether we're at Starbucks or Pete's or the mall or the church. And people will want to come where the riches are. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, get us to the throne room of grace. Get us there that we might be washed and showered, filled with grace. Lord, may we recognize that we need this place and that we need to get there, not when we're really good, but when we're really bad all the more, and when we're good, and 24-7. We ask this in Jesus' name.